0: I'm, I'm just happy you, you managed to get this out of your system, Rick. That's that's a big relief for me. I feel like this is whatever. You know, someone goes to work and there's like this dart chart or something like that. And then they just take a little dart and just throw it at it, And then they end up making it. You know, and there's no point for this watch to look like this and to exist the way it does. It's just something that has not yet been done and could be done. And now it's here. I don't think not even the people who bought this w- woke up one day and said, Wow, I wish, I wish this was a thing. I don't think that this is a watch people dream about. This is just a randomizer
1: We haven't heard from Ariel this week since he travelled to
2: Sicily, so assuming the worst, we've replaced him with a returning Silva. We talk about the best Rolex fake, why all titanium watches are not the same, the latest from Patek, and we play Good Week, Bad Week. Enjoy the show!
3: Greetings and welcome to a blog to watch weekly. Ariel, well, so far it's as predicted. Ariel's gone to Sicily and we haven't heard from him. We've got no mm. voicemail messages. He was supposed to be here this morning, but I got a vague message saying something about he was being picked up in a car.
0: We are we are about to receive a bloodstained blackmail letter anytime soon.
3: I mean, what do you think the demand would be? Like, So let's say he's been kidnapped mm. and they decide that the people they want to get money or get stuff from is a blog to watch. What what is your local mafioso asking for? We're joined by the way by Sylvain, friend of the show. So feel free to chip in.
1: <laughs> good morning, everyone.
3: What are they asking?
1: My guess is uh, it's it's a brand new Sicilian micro brand who wants a uh, worldwide release and they kidnapped ILT to, to get their, their, their name on the on the list. That would be a good one
3: so actually it's a ruse because this sicilian microbrand that keep on san- sending ariel you know please please do an article on us and he keeps on rejecting them. and so this is the final revenge you will publish about our watch or suffer the consequences david what, what are they taking
0: Oh, well, I'm not sure. Honestly, I I think I was just trying to think of like some crazy blackmail like Ariel will let you go. But only if you never ever speak about watches ever again. (laughs) Uh, uh, You choose this or you die. I'm not sure. You know, Ariel is a reasonable guy. I think he would just say, okay, fine. But he's also very passionate so at the same time, I think this would be a tricky situation. I'm trying to think how we could turn this into a three-episode franchise for Disney or something like that. You know, like Home Alone or something. You know. Starring Ariel, <laughs> who cannot talk about watches and yet he does. And yet he escapes.
3: It's this one of these things, Arrow sitting there going, I have a unique set of skills. <laughs> I, will tr- I will track you down and when I find you, I will sell you an Invicta. No! <laughs> <laughs> anyway... We haven't heard from him. He's not here, so that means we can talk about him. But Sven, so you are here. How are you, sir? I'm all good. I'm all good.
1: Busy times, as always. Before Christmas, we try to to get our things sorted
3: out before we can go for Christmas break. But uh, exciting projects coming. Good, good. And so, shall we give the usual disclaimer? Do you want to? Do you want to air the disclaimer as usual?
1: Yes, yes, yes. Whatever subject we might be talking of, I will be talking about it under my own watch enthusiast perspective and not from my Breitling professional position that I should mention.
3: So there we go. There's the disclaimer. It's either that or we confess we're owned by LVMH Group, but that's a different show. Anyway, David, are you well?
0: Yes. Yeah, never been better,
3: I guess. Good, good. Well, let us launch in. We had an article this week from Ripley, and I thought this was quite timely that Ripley had produced this at the same time as you are on the show, Sylvain. Because last time you were on, we had quite an extensive discussion about titanium. I learned some things I didn't know. And now Ripley has produced an article discussing the merits of cheaper titanium watches. And possibly poking a little bit of the bear in terms of why is sometimes titanium really expensive? And why is it also sometimes really cheap? And that got me thinking both about titanium, about gold, and about other materials. You pair will both have the skinny on this. So the question is to what extent do brands overprice, or indeed perhaps underprice, for the differences in materials beyond steel? Are the brands, you know, just reflecting the markup that genuinely exists moving to gold? Or does it maintain some sort of cost plus? Same with titanium and any other exotic materials like sapphire, etc. I also want to know, just by the way, this is one of these questions that goes on forever. I also want to know, by the way, because you touched on it last time, why nobody makes a watch out of some of the other grades? Because I've been reading about grades of titanium and grade 38 appears quite attractive. So why do we not go beyond two and five? And what is the markup story with different material watches? give us some opinions boys
0: Rick, this this is like 17 questions in one i think we should try and, <laughs> and break it down into something that people can listen to and still get answer so yeah let's get our um, priorities here
3: we, we normally record at half past six in the morning we're recording at half past seven so i'm slightly more awake <laughs> okay that explains it
0: it's a two minute long question
3: <laughs> so talk to us about titanium then silva well, as I, as I said last time, I think titanium is a
1: fantastic material. When I look at these two pieces, I am staggered to to, to understand how these watches can finally be sold at 500 bucks, uh, especially because I know from my perspective how much struggle and, and difficulties we have to manufacture titanium, not, not in the sense that it is technically hard to manufacture, but you have to set up a, a, a proper production line for it. Machining titanium is extremely costly because it uses a lot of milling heads because the material is very ductile. So, so I'm, I'm quite impressed by the technical prowess. Now I would have to look down in the specs and see what kind of titanium it is. But overall, I think I think it's a fantastic entry point for any watch enthusiast to get to experience this material uh, in, in reality.
3: Yeah, so the two watches specifically reviewed were the Citizen Garrison, which is $425, and the RZD Endeavor at 499 it, it does appear to be a great deal for a great deal of watch. The issue then with titanium is not so much the cost of the material, but the cost is very much in the production of it. And just how much over steel it costs to actually make the thing, especially to high tolerances. And presumably, as you go up the, the range of luxury watches, it's actually the milling to increasingly difficult and accurate tolerances, which is quite problematic and expensive to do.
1: Now that I look at it in detail, now I think I understand part of the equation. It seems that these watches uh, have a construction that use a very little number of parts. So for example, the bracelet is not a 3 links bracelet, it's a mono-link bracelet and for the case it's the same the the bezel is integrated into the case so that would reduce the number of components therefore the the, the length of the milling and and the time you spent on finishing which is also quite demanding for, for titanium so that would be one part of the equation and that would as a consequence leave the product with some areas that are not very well defined in terms of finishing you would probably have hedges that are not as sharp because you can't get the tool in these areas to to, to have a proper sharp crisp uh, finishing.
3: And are there other ways of dealing with titanium other than milling it, or is milling it really your only option? No,
1: usually, I mean, for Breitling, we always start the beginning of the production with stamping for two reasons. First, that optimizes the the volume of metal you have to start with. Uh, because what you don't want to do is to start with one kilo of steel and mill a watch head in it so that becomes, at the end, 40 grams of steel. You would use way too much electricity. You would burn heads uh, by hundreds, Uh, and at the end, the the metal is purely wasted. So usually what we do is we start with a piece of metal that has a rough shape, the contour, let's say, the, the outside shape of a watch head, and then we stamp it 25 times. So that requires to make 25 different stamping tools. And for titanium, you have to stamp it at temperature, in high temperature, which means you have to bring your piece under, I think it's 800 degrees or something. And then you stamp it one time heat it up again, and you have to do this process 25 times with every time a different tool. And that has, as I said, one effect. You optimize the resources to, to produce the object. And second, by stamping, you actually increase the density of the metal. And, and that is extremely beneficial for the long-lasting effect because the, the being compressed, the structure is, is, has a higher density and, and is a lot more durable.
3: So, so it's effectively work hardened. Does that mean that while a watch may be grade two or grade five titanium, if it's not been produced in that format, actually all grade five titanium watches are not the same? Because if some will have been more work hard than others, and actually that will change uh, the properties of the titanium. mm -hmm, So when, when you advertise a watch or a brand advertises a very expensive watch that's still titanium, and then a brand like RZE, say theirs is made of the same titanium, there is actually quite a lot of the properties of the watch dependent on how that titanium has been handled during the production process.
1: It's true that uh, no watch brands communicate on that, but I know from a fact that you can clearly tell the difference in the manufacturing process and I can take a very simple example. You take a case back made of steel, one of the most uh, common components in the watch industry. If your case back has been milled from a bare piece of steel, it will usually scratch under normal wearing conditions. You will scratch the, the, the back. Now, if you stamp it, then mill it and finish it, you will have scratches for a normal wearing scenario.
3: Now, I did not know that. David, did you know this?
0: Not that one, no. I do know that the first time I handled a Breitling, it was a Chronomat GMT-44 in steel. Uh, I don't know eight years ago something like that and i could feel that it was it was much more solid than most other watches i could just you know it, it's when you run your fingers across the steel case or whatever and you feel that it, as though it was more dense or something like that and many years went by and not that long ago i was in a brightening boutique and there was a little event and the team from austria brought over this huge travel case or like this big box that had five or six different drawers in it. And in each drawer, there were parts at different stages of completion of a Breitling watch. So you could see many different stages uh, of a case being made from this really rough stamped thing that was like maybe 60, 70 millimeters wide. Much wider than the case. It was just basically the uh, the middle case, roughly, with some lugs and you know the hole in the middle. And they told us that you know this goes this goes through multiple heat cycles and stamping procedures and so on and so forth. And then I realized that what I felt many years before was a result of all this process that goes into it that does not go into many other uh, cases that are being made. If if you're a hardcore watch enthusiast, I'm sure you've spent some time on YouTube, you know, Googling or searching for manufacturer visit videos where cases are made at XYZ brand. And you will see that, you know, of course you cannot show all the 25 steps of stamping or whatever, but sometimes you can see that what they do is they just take some stamping and then boom, it goes under the mill and then, you know, it carves it out to a more precise shape and then it gets polished and then that's it. And to be honest, it, you can't actually feel that. I didn't know about how scratch resistant it is just because you stamped it more, uh, multiple times or whatever. But I do know that some cases made from steel scratch more than others. So I guess, you know, still and just educated us on that. Which
1: is great. Yeah, and, it, and it, uh, I think it's good to mention it because uh, very often uh, stamping has, has this bad reputation. People think that mm-hmm. we use stamping to produce cheap plastic or metal components, very cheap ones. It is true when you use stamping to actually shape the product as as its final iteration. Mm-hmm. But in the case of making watches, stamping has nothing to do with the final volume definition, volumic definition. Uh, Stamping is used only to harden the material and basically make it closer to the final volume. But every surface you see on a modern steel watch, Breitling and all the other good brands, none of these surfaces are made from stamping themselves. All the surfaces are made from extremely modern CNC machine and what we call, I don't know the word in English, but we have these huge machines that actually make the polish angles and the brush angles using a machine. And this is why the, the surfaces are so sharp and the lines are so crisp on the case because it's actually done by dedicated tools made especially for that case in the production line.
3: Cool. No, I did not know a lot of that, especially about titanium, about all titanium grades that may sound the same are actually not depending on how they've been treated there was something you said that did get me thinking about another industry and i'm curious you talked briefly about the amount of electricity that would be used because you're stamping a case 25 times etc now in the world of restaurants when they put together menus a good chef can work out the exact cost of a dish on the materials that are used for it right the way down to the proportion of spices that are used to season addition can work that all out into the costs that then get their markup added to i'm curious as to what extent and david i don't know how much of this you know from other brands i'm curious as to how much of the minutiae of cost construction goes into the pricing of an individual watch do the brands actually have an eye on yet this particular case that forms this particular model is worked over many many more times than this other one and so actually we take a proportion of the cost of the electricity and the whole production line is costed to give a more genuine reflection of the cost of a particular watch do production lines go into that much detail in terms of how they pass the cost up to what eventually becomes the retail
0: I'll, I'll begin that by by flipping it around i think the trend that we have been saying seeing lately with the majority of brands i don't think any brand is immune to it given uh, it, it just depends on what price point we are looking at is that Sure, you know anything can be made beautifully into an unbelievably high quality, and you know stamped twenty five times and milled and polished by hand, and so on and so forth. The question is, you know, this of course has a certain cost element to it, which is going to be much higher than something that is made not so nicely. So the question is, and the reason why I'm flipping it around is that does the customer uh, is the customer able to differentiate this? Can the customer tell that this case costs three times or four times or five times as much? as a more simple case from a competitor brand, right? If a competitor brand has an iconic design of whatever and people just flock to it, even though it has the most basic case that you can possibly imagine and you could polish it with your eyes shut, and it costs the same as uh, another case that was stamped 25 times and has a beveled edge and alternating finishing and perfectly integrated bracelet and whatever else that you can imagine. Then, sure, you know, should we just go a little bit, you know, further down or simplify our efforts or whatever? And, yeah, so I think this is this is where it matters. If the all, all this additional effort does not translate to the customer, then sooner or later you can watch it die and be replaced by something
1: else that is more simple. Yeah, on on my end, it links to the discussion we had last time about titanium. We can't bend the laws of physics. So I think it's a matter of making an educated choice on on the matter. Uh, And by that, I mean, uh, titanium should not be the only reason why you buy a piece, you should be aware of which grade of titanium it is and how it has been made. And if I could make a comparison to wine, for example, you when you buy a bottle of wine, you could choose, for example, to buy uh, an expensive name and the, the, wine is, the wine is still very young, which will be less good than, than an older wine. And then, so, so that's pretty much what it is now. You buy a titanium piece, but a lot of savings have been made on the production method used to do it so yes you have a titanium watch but the cost has been saved in the finishing in the number of components and in the the way the metal is hardened in the process it doesn't mean it's not a good watch i think it's it's a great watch but you will have to pay the consequences of that price saving on the long run which means from the first week you own the watch because you will with time start to realize that some Corners of the watch are a bit sketchy because you, we could not split the parts in enough, in a big number enough to, to have the finishing properly done. And on the long run, this piece will most probably get a lot more scratches because the metal has not been hardened. So you will pay the price of that cost saving at some point. And I think it's not bad considering the initial price you get it for. It's totally fine. But usually a more expensive titanium watch like a Breitling will show its additional value on the long run because we we have enough components to dismount the watch and what we call repolish it. You can send your watch to Breitling to get it refurbished. And because we constructed it with a higher number of components it means we can replace small bits we can refurbish the, 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 just these ones and we don't have to trash the whole case just because you put a dent on your bezel for example or we you, we don't have to, to scratch complete link just because you have a dent on, on one side of the bracelet and this makes a huge difference if you want to keep the watch a couple of years or if you want to keep it for 20 years
3: bear in mind that watch brands are not shy on making watches out of you know exotic stuff and trying to, you know, especially micro brands, get uh, some sort of USP over others. Why do we not see somebody coming up using grade 23 titanium as opposed to just two and five, just for the sake of it, just so they can say, Oh, yeah, yours, your watch is grade two or grade five ours is grade 23 just because 23 sounds better than five and two
1: the answer is uh, quite simple we very often like to forget watch enthusiast and i'm guilty of that because i make this uh, stupid request to to all my development colleagues all the time I, I do the same i go like how about we use this exotic uh, titanium grade and the answer usually brings me back to reality. The watchmaking industry uses an extremely tiny portion of the metal available in, in the global industry. If you go to any metal company, uh, we, in French we call it an affineur, a company that will give sell you the bare titanium to start with, these guys they produce megatons of titanium grade two and grade five because these are the most common. You can use the one for the medical as well. But if you show up to this company and say, oh, I, w- I would need 200 kilos of grade, you know, 18 or 23, the price will go through the roof because they will have to set up their own production line for you. Uh, and the scale of that company is is way, way, way bigger than, than what's required to do that. So, so the price you know, will simply become totally unrealistic and they will actually probably never do it for you. We have ordered in the past special materials uh, and I've seen it from my eyes ordering forms on paper where they don't even give you a delivery date. That's, that's the world we live in. They say, yes, yeah, yes, we'll do it for you. Here's the price but there is no delivery date because the company is so big and they have to supply for the automobile industry, for the plane industry, for construction buildings and everything. And these guys are much, much bigger clients than the watch industry. So it doesn't matter, even if you are a super, super high-end watch brand, unless you own your own metal tooling, like Rolex does, for example, but even them, they don't own the mines and everything. So they have to get metal supply at some point and this is where you get restricted
3: cool well i don't think we've actually managed to answer any of the questions that we put forward but that was really interesting i'm fascinated by just the differences in titanium watches not all being the same so hopefully everyone listening learned something just the way that i just did okay last week we we didn't actually play it as an official good week bad week game but because of some stuff that's happened in the last week, I thought, actually, we should just, you know, do a good week, bad week. So, and also because I suspect that David has personally more blame for this than he's prepared to accept <laughs> because of a slight mistake he made in his Instagram account. Now, he's saying mm. it was a mistake. I'm inclined to believe him because I know him. I'm inclined to believe that he just got distracted. Yeah, but I suspect as a result of his distraction... A few people had a bad week. So this week's Bad Week Awards goes to all of those who fell for the Rolex fake letter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. A, a number of people felt this is a letter that I originally saw actually posted on a meme account, which we'll come on to. But then a number of people picked up this letter as real and it was basically saying that Rolex were going to slash their production by 50% because they were getting on board with the Swiss government in saving gas or electricity oh or something. Oh my goodness. So they were going to slash production as part of their environmental credentials uh, anyway and you know do, doing their bit to help in the cost of living crisis <laughs> so the more you say it the more ridiculous it sounds yeah but the reality is some folk fell for it and some of them are quite good friends of ours yeah that's not so true i don't know if you're listening to this but mr watch pro also did this and then had to publish an apology. I think the guys that watch his TV may also have fallen for this. And it looks like Paul Thorpe, possibly in his YouTube channel, because there was a video that went up about Rolex and production that now doesn't exist. Can
0: I just say that what happened was that I saw that. (laughs) I posted it. (laughs) And immediately I was following up like, don't stop sending me this crap. Obviously it's fake. I received the phone call. I went on for like 10 minutes and I put my phone down and I totally forgot it. And the next time, two hours later, when I opened Instagram, I opened Instagram way too often. I was greeted uh-huh. by this draft of the thing. And I'm like, oh, my God, I haven't posted it. I just added to the noise. <laughs> I wanted to take away from it.
3: So how many, because I sent you a direct message. It says, David, are you sure this is true? No. How many direct messages Here's did why. you receive? Yeah, secretly going, David. David, you, 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 you really need to post the sequel to your initial message.
0: I okay. So I will obviously relieve Rob and and all the others in the media because you know it's it's easy to be trigger happy and we are all under constant time pressure.
3: but Yeah, yeah, absolutely. People
0: sitting on a toilet looking at this thing for like ten minutes straight and can't make it up their own minds. Here, here's the here's how you can <laughs> tell. You ask yourself, when was the last time that anything re- leaked from Rolex? Technically never, yeah. right? Sometimes, uh-huh. like, in March or April, maybe there's, like, a blurry photo of something, but, you know, that's the, which is from an ad or from a printing company way outside Rolex. Anyone within those circles would would never risk leaking something, right? Because it's, you know, it's a mighty company, so you really don't want to step on the toes of their lawyers. Let's just put it that way. And then you look at this message, and it was so badly written and just poorly uh, formatted and the whole thing was just was just off in a way that was unbelievable and if you really know like if you're really into this whole thing and you don't even have to know anyone who works at Rolex or you don't even have to go to a boutique you just go to their website or watch their social media and you see how weirdly Rolex speaks about its products and everything it does Rolex has a weird way about everything so to, for them to someone sit down and, oh, here I am, I will just write an email to everyone to say how, you know, how we are holding back production, that would never, ever happen. They would find the most convoluted, more secretive, enigmatic way of doing that. And they would send <laughs> that in a weird language that nobody really understands. And even people who should know probably would leave left like scratching their heads, like, is this what they are really saying? Hmm, I'm not sure. That's how it would go. Not like, I'm the CEO when we are dropping our production in half. That would never happen. So just use your, you know, critical thinking and 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 just realize that okay, there's no way this would
3: happen, no way. Maybe 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 we're all being double punked. Maybe it does turn out to be true. Just putting out there. Can you imagine?
0: Can you imagine if the CEO actually wrote this really badly? <laughs> he <was> just trolling <laughs> everyone.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He says, "I know what we'll do. It's 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 a quiet October. Let's. It was well, the fact that it was a letter." Is the fact that it was a letter to everybody. It might just have said, dear world, (laughs) at the top of it. It was a letter to authorized dealers, clients, group members, and staff. Yeah. I mean, Rolex do like to go on about the fact (gasps) that they don't have any clients because they sell via authorized dealers. They don't actually have anyone they sell to. So I'm not sure your client was. So bad week goes to all those that fell for it. Good week goes to whoever wrote this because (laughs) it is a piece Of genius yeah and to all the meme accounts in particular yes horological dictionary did manage hilarious you know the the scoop the scoop on this so they had a particularly good did you see this happening sylvie yes yes i did
1: i did and i before (laughs) i speak about this i have a question for you guys have you Uh did you ever receive a a paper letter from the Rolex hq once in reality (laughs) no no i mean did you the,
3: only from their solicitors <laughs> yes. no? so david, N- never from rolex rolex only communicate with me via legal channels oh, yeah. and and you david have you to... ever
1: seen a, no, no, no. A, a paper issued from the rolex H- hq yeah sadly not no because i have and, and i can tell you <laughs> one thing and i i fully agree with what you said usually rolex doesn't speak they do their stuff and they don't ask they don't inform people they just send orders not on paper And when they do issue a paper, they do it in their own manner. And all I could say, because these are colleagues in the industry, and I don't want to break any secrets, but I'll give you an indication, Rolex doesn't write on white paper. That's all I can say about it. If you ever see any paper in white paper with the Rolex name on it, you can be sure it's a fake.
3: Bum, bum, bum. That's so cool. <laughs> that's, that's cool information. Oh, there we go. That's, that's mic drop moment.
0: Yeah. Why would they address anyone like that? Like letter to authorized dealers, clients, group members and stuff. Like what does that even mean? It's like it's crazy, <laughs> crazy, crazy stuff. Even if you receive an email from somebody at Rolex that says, good morning, if that comes like, that is followed by seven lines of legal like just (laughs) gibberish saying that you're not allowed to tell anyone that somebody told you good morning from rolex because it's like you know it's the end of the world so and that's that's in the signature of every single letter that they send that this is like highly confidential i'm like okay
3: it says, good morning, but only for us, not for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> uh, disclaimer. <laughs> that's right. We, 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 we mean nothing by it and any representation to what we're saying to real life events or fiction that is purely coincidental.
0: With regards to your uh, morning. Yeah, exactly.
3: With regards to your morning. So, anyway, yeah, that, that was good. It was fun watching that. Um, I think there was about 20 seconds when I was like, wow this is this could be real and then i realized i was looking at horological dictionary while doing it so i'm like no it's not real so i don't know whether the particular lady in charge of horological dictionary is responsible for this or whether whether she received it from from somebody else but a shout out to them nonetheless a bit of last week's show this week hmm so we covered a wee while ago the G-Shocks and being able to put them in for service. So, Van, are you a G-Shock collector? Do you have a bunch of G-Shocks in a drawer somewhere? I
1: had some. Uh, and usually, once the, I remember when I was a teenager, I usually started with the G-Shock on the wrist. And once I had broken the strap, I would usually uh, tape it on, on the handlebar of my race bike to keep uh, track of the race space. I remember, so I had a special relationship with these, and you can't make them That's die. Cool. You can't make them die. I had a, a G-Shock strapped on my race bike handlebar, I kid you not, for 10 years, and it survived five different <laughs> race bikes. I had to change the bikes before the watch. It was <laughs> wow. crazy.
3: So all your titanium, so everything you've said about titanium and its use in race bikes is now null and void over a G-Shock. Everything has just been made of tough and reinforced plastic. Mm-hmm. That would solve the but problem. but
1: plastic is mega because for certain objects because it's actually very soft so so it would rebound the shocks. Uh, it's not very nice to look at, but uh, not very heavy. But in terms of pure performance, uh, composites in general are highly efficient, which is why, for example, we have the bright light at Brightling. It's only for pure performance perspective.
3: Yeah and so as a result of the coverage of that article we gave a call out a clarion call to any listeners who had g-shocks that they were going to put in for this kind of service and michael got in touch so i'm just going to play the audio for for part one of him sending in his g-shock
2: Hi, this is Mike from Pittsburgh. This is a quick update, part one of my experience with the recently announced G-Shock refurbishment service that Casio has announced in the United States as of the beginning of October. Uh, This is about a two-month program that applies to certain older square G-Shock models, in particular the DW5000, 5200, and 5600, as well as a couple other models. And it's basically an opportunity for customers to have Casio refresh some of their older watches. It's really not a repair or replacement program, just a few updated parts. In particular, Casio will replace the battery. Casio will replace the gasket. They'll install a new resin case, as well as case screws and a resin band. And for the flat fee of $100, return it all to the customer in a commemorative Kiko eBay G-Shock box. It seems like a very good idea, especially for some collectors, G-Shock enthusiasts in particular, who have some of these older watches, many of which may be over 30, 35 years old at this point. So in my case, I shipped a 5200 G-Shock to Casio, got a quick response and a receipt that they are working on it and will have begun the repair. And so in the next week or so, I anticipate an update from them. I'll keep you posted. And until then, watch this space. Thanks.
3: So there you go we will follow what happens with michael and his g-shock over the next few weeks see That's if he's happy cool. with 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 what comes back when i logged on to this call sylvain's first thing to me was are we going to be talking about the 5811 and it says for you sylvain anything so the first things we're going to talk about because we only touched them ever so briefly last week are the slew of new releases from Patek. And I know there are some opinions out there. So, Sylvain, why don't you take it away and give us your reflections on what was released last week?
1: First of all, I should say I'm a Patek customer myself. I used to own two, and I and I sold one. So I still own one Patek Philippe watch. I, I love and I respect the brand. And I, and I would like to do a differentiation between two things, the, the, the brand character and the products themselves. When it comes to a brand, to the brand values, I will make a, a comparison with this story. Let's imagine David uh, and I are friends, which is not the case. I hate the guy. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's imagine we are friends. I call him one evening and I say, hi, David, how would you like to have dinner with me tonight? And he goes like, oh no, I'm sorry, I'm tired. I'd like to stay home. I say, okay, fine, fine. I go and I hang out in the city with different folks and I meet David in, in another bar with different people, you know? That's not what I call a good, good, good friendship, yeah, in the sense like it would feel like betrayal and that's pretty much how I feel as a customer for the 5811. Why that? Mm. A year ago, When Mr. Stern said, I'm discontinuing the 5711 because I don't want my brand, my family brand to be associated with that product only. I thought it was the best move ever. Best move ever. I would applaud with both my hands and feet. I was like, oh, wow, this is like gentleman class level 99. And the reason why, the official reason was, I don't want my brand to be associated with this, which is why I discontinue it. Fine, I, I fully understand. But yet, six months or nine months later, you release the same watch again? So, so what does that mean? Like what you said before doesn't stick anymore? So, so that's my problem. When I, when I talk about brand values, I personally, as a customer, have a problem with this uh, because unfortunately for them, my memory is not damaged yet enough that I forgot <laughs> what they said nine months ago. So, 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 so that's my problem with, with the, the brand uh, messaging. If now, if he, if he would have said, "Look, I'm extremely disappointed to see some of our customers flipping our products to make five times the retail price, and I'm going to make a price correction," I would have I would have accepted that message, and I think it would have been transparent and honest. But to to come up with the first reason to discontinue the model, which now we can clearly see was not the the, the main reason for. Uh, and then to do something else, so I have a problem with that. Yeah. So, so as a customer, I can only say that I'm slightly disappointed to see that, and I feel like uh, I mean, not that I'm in the hunt for Nautilus, because I'm not. But
3: I don't think you're going to get one now.
1: Yeah. I mean, and, I, and I'm simply not. I mean, in my case, it's professional deformation. The more everybody wants something, the less I want it. But I'm aware yeah. Yeah. It, it's uh, it, it's my own little problem. So, so, so that's on, on the brand value, I should say. I, I think brands should, should behave like if they were treating their, their customers as a true friendship relationship on the long run. And the comparison I made, if you call a friend and he says, no, I stay home, and, and you find him outside and you basically see that he lied to you, I find it harder to swallow than just say, look, sorry, I'm going to meet with these guys tonight. I can't make it today. That's completely fine. Then when it comes to the product itself, uh, I mean, the the Nautilus has been drawn by Mr. Junta, fantastic design. We all know this. Uh, It's the golden age of the 70s sports designs. As a watch enthusiast, if I had to picture the next generation of Nautilus, I would have loved to have it in titanium and I would have loved for them to correct, which was, in my opinion, the weakness of the Nautilus was the case back. And, and by the case back, I don't mean the case back itself. I mean the, the bottom surface of the case, the middle part of the case, which has always been sandblasted because of the shape. Uh, you could not get the tools to to, to access this surface. So I would have loved Patek to do some retro engineering and find a way to complete the finishing on that surface. But they actually went the other way and melted the case back with the middle part of the case. Uh, And that I see personally as a a downgrade, uh, as even cutting corners to some extent in terms of watch construction, because the new Nautilus, make no mistake about it, is now a two-part case construction instead of a three-part case construction, which means if you want simply to regulate your watch, you have to dismantle the whole thing, to my knowledge. Otherwise, I find the micro-adjustment buckle uh, nice, up-to-date, uh, very much needed. And I have no doubt uh, that the level of finishing and the, and the feel that you must be wearing this piece in white gold on the wrist must, must be extremely nice. So, uh, yes, that's pretty much all my warm reactions uh, on that, which, which may change. If you ask me in two months again, I might change my mind, that I, that I should say. But uh, week, a week later... <laughs> This is how I feel about it. That's what I should say.
3: Yeah. I'm not a fan of Nautilus. Never have been. I doubt it ever will be. I just don't like it. I just don't like the look of it. Feels like I'm wearing Prince Charles on my wrist. I've got two big lugs sticking out at either side. Or no, it's not Prince Charles. King Charles. I'm not allowed to say that now because he's a king. But anyway, so never been a big fan of it. Fan of the brand, much like you are, but not particularly a fan of this. But it's interesting. I hadn't caught the whole uh, case uh, redesign in terms of simplification and some of the other things so that's really interesting to hear David
0: yeah I, I agree with Silvana I, what I would add is that um yeah when, when they canceled it I felt like this is great and this gives them an opportunity to do something new I understand that there has to be some form of continuity in a brand but when they are facing issues this product was with the uh with, with the Nautilus at the time like a year and year or two ago That that could be a trigger to say, okay, we've mailed this to an extent where it's really gotten out of control and we can't control it. It's causing us more problems than it does us any good. We've been very, very proud of it. And we are always very proud of ourselves. So why not just, you know, pull something out that is new, that we create today. That would be the new Nautilus, our Nautilus, the Nautilus of the 21st century. So sure, they didn't make the Nautilus that much worse than it was, but it was you know, uh, long overdue that they they ditched it and have created something that will follow its path. Sure, Patek needs a still sports watch with proper water resistance that is slim and great to wear and looks good and is a status symbol and all that. But I think it's it's overdue that they did something new and not just milk the same thing since nineteen seventy six or five, whatever.
3: So that's the fifty eight eleven. And you mentioned water resistance. Let's talk briefly about a new Aquanaut that only has 30 meters water resistance. (laughs) So, you know, Patek doing a Panerai move. (laughs) Let's produce the ladies watch, and let's give it zero water resistance on our premier dive line. So this is the Patek Philippe Aquanaut Loose Rainbow Chronograph Watch. Actually, quite a good looking watch again never been a big fan of the aquanaut but this with the gem set bezel i think actually works really well but why and i can kind of understand yeah the temptation is you want to produce a woman's line on a watch you throw diamonds at it fair enough but why have they thrown diamonds at it at the same time as giving it a water resistance of 30 meters. Do do women not go swimming?
0: I think, you know, I would I would ask, I think women know what an aquanaut is. It's a scuba diver, right? I, I you know, it's it, that's what it means, the word. And then yeah. for, for to have a wife that, okay, maybe the intention is not to bring it in the water or take it into water, but still it's it's so backwards, it's ridiculous. It's like calling a car fast and then making it slow.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I just don't I just don't understand it. I, I genuinely this baffles me as to why they wouldn't, I, I don't know what the standard rating is of an Aquanaut. I assume it's at least 100 metres, if not more. Huh. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head, but uh, so uh, how difficult genuinely is it to make a watch water resistant to any level? I mean, I always have a go at Speedmasters. Why produce a Speedmaster that's only 50 metres? Why not make them all 100 metres? The Speedmaster reduced is 100 metres water resistant. So how difficult actually is it?
1: One thing to consider is that waterproof water resistance uh, comes with a strong price to pay in terms of volume. So the, the higher the water resistance goes, the seeker the glass needs to be on top and bottom, and the higher the, the ceilings you use, the gaskets we use, uh, the seeker and the higher they need to be in order to resist the pressure. Same goes everywhere. Uh, on the watch, including the gaskets for the crown and the pushers, if there are some, which overall in a case construction uh, has indeed a big impact. Uh, for example, if you take the slimmest, I will speak in, in, in comparison of things that I know at Breitling, if I decrease water resistance from 300 to 200 meters, I almost can gain one millimeter, one and a half millimeters only in glass thickness. So, of course, water resistance play a big role. Now, the Aquanote in its normal form, I assume, has 100 meters water resistance. I don't think it would be more because then the price to pay would be hard to swallow, especially on small size pieces. But here, in this particular case, my guess, and I'm not sure because I don't work with Patek, but I suppose that the stones they used actually took the place needed in order to have uh, water resistance. Which, uh, And by that I mean, to use the stones on the dial, you have to raise the hands. Uh, and to raise the hands, you have to make the glass thinner to, to keep the same outside aesthetics. Otherwise, if you want to combine water resistance and stone setting, the overall watch would become a lot thicker. So that's my guess of what happened here
3: yeah i did wonder whether it was actually nothing to do with the chronograph aspect or anything but it was actually wow. purely to do with the fact that they're putting gems on it so you've maybe confirmed that that's the case because to get the gems sitting on the dial mm-hmm. uh they'll may well have had to make the glass thinner
0: uh sylvan you you raised an excellent point with the stones yeah i think that's that's what probably has happened
3: so let's move on to our final Patek discussion because I have some opinions on this. And this is the split-second Mono Pusher Chronograph Perpetual Calendar 5373P001. Straight out of the bat, this is in similar Rolex left-hand drive GMT Uncanny Valley. I look at this watch mm. and it looks like it's upside down. But that's not, my, it main, is. That's not my main complaint. My main complaint is that this watch does what i hate perpetual calendars doing which is they tell the month and the day in windows but then tell the date in a hand if you're gonna have a perpetual calendar either use dials for them all for the day the month and the date or use windows you know rotors with it written on don't have me trying to read one thing in a dial and the other thing in text i'll let you off with if you're iwc i'll let you off putting the year or the leap year in a a window but patek have a perfectly decent movement which i'm sure they could have tweaked which is on the regulator which is actually my favorite patek the 5235 which does it properly it has a day window it has a month window and it has a date window and it looks gorgeous so please protect if you're going to do this do it all the same way don't mix and match it's like a very bad pick and mix that's upside down sorry that's that's my thoughts david what's your take on this
0: i'm I'm just happy you you managed to get this out of your system rick that's, that's <laughs> a big relief for me <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah i think it's uh, you can tell that it's it's upside down in in, in a number of ways and uh, you know I, I understand that you know when you make a watch in such a limited production even if it costs goodness knows how much then uh, you know you, you probably cannot re-engineer or engineer a new movement from scratch i i love Patek chronographs and split seconds i think they are they are the bee's knees but this watch is just you know i, I feel like i feel like this is whatever you know someone goes to work and there's like this dart chart or something like that and then they just take a little dart and just throw it at it okay a perpetual okay that's true okay moon face. okay upside down okay and then they end up in making it you know there's no point for this watch to look like this and to exist the way it does it's just something that has not yet been done and could be done and now it's here but if it if it weren't Nobody would be like, oh, God, I wish that there was a Patak split second with a bunch of tiny windows and an upside down moon face. And, you know, the hand and an ugly watch pushed in the crown with weird locks and a weird strap. I, I saw it. I, I wish that that watch existed. I don't think not even the people who bought this woke up one day and said, wow, I wish I wish this was a thing. You know, this is not, in my opinion, I don't think that this is a watch people dream about. And, you know, Patek's split-second, like you say, Patek has made a number of those, are dream machines. You look at them and you're like, wow, this is the end of the world when it comes to watches. This is just a randomizer. And I, and, and I respect Patek's watchmakers that they could actually end up making it, despite how weird this <laughs> assignment must have been. They were like, oh, okay, here we go again, we'll make it. So I, I do respect them for that, but it's just uh, it's just not a good one in my opinion.
3: It's it's like one of those management speak charts. You know, back in the days where folk used to exchange PDS by email. You know, <laughs> before WhatsApp and stuff, and you get like a column with a word with a, a bunch of words in each column, and you could pick a, a word from column A, a word from column B, <laughs> and a word from column C to make the ultimate management speak of the day. That's exactly feels wonders. like that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this feels like that. Sylvan, have you ever been in a meeting where someone has demanded? that you must make this watch and you must make it as a destro watch?
1: No, I, I haven't. I haven't, I should not never say never. Maybe this day, uh, this meeting will come one day, but uh, not yet, no.
3: And if somebody did come in and say, we've got this perfectly decent watch, which we don't produce that many of in right-hand drive, I know what we should do. We should re-engineer the whole thing so as we can make it left-hand drive would they be exiting via the window? In this case, I'm not even sure if, if, if
1: it takes that much energy to, 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 <laughs> to, to do this. No, but, but seriously, I think you... Uh, I'm still trying to... I'm, I'm looking at pictures of the case. One good point I uh-huh. should mention, on, on the side wall of the case, you have this uh, inner pocket uh, on, on the case wall which is actually horizontally brushed. I should mention that this is extremely hard to achieve from a case manufacturing Uh standpoint. And I applaud Patek Philippe for being able to pull that kind of technical prowess, Uh, extremely hard to achieve. So bravo. Uh, The Destro concept, I mean, it's it's not new as we all know. So I'd love to believe that that Rolex and Patek talked to each other and they decided to go on this weird trend. If that's the case, uh, please next year release them at the same time so that we can see it's a master <laughs> plan. Because no, but because right now it makes it makes Patek look bad, and I, I don't think it is the case. But I still have it in my mind somewhere. I'm like, oh, is it because a year ago you saw a destro and now you wanted to do the same very quickly? So yeah. you know, same.
3: Are we aware of any designers from Rolex that may have moved jobs in the last three to four years to Patek and were in at the ground floor when Rolex were talking about it and then just brought the idea across? Because clearly Patek have been working on this for a while. They didn't just come up with this last weekend. Presumably they saw the Rolex release at Watch and Wonders earlier in the year and went, oh, Jings, we've got one of these coming towards the end of the year that the planning didn't start taking place after after watches and wonders
1: i'm not sure because i mean in terms of what conception if you, if in terms of technical construction if you look at this new product compared to the original one the hands are the same the case look like the same if you flip the whole case upside down you would end mm-hmm. up with the same product bracelet you just have to clip it on the case 880 degrees what you have to rebuild <laughs> is a dial and a dial for 9 months is is fine to produce so i would actually question if this is not a, a consequence of of a gmt destro wow
3: that's mm. uh, that would be quite something
1: and if that's the case it's sad i mean patek doesn't need this yeah and and as, as a consequence as a consequence it happens that the nautilus is also also grew by 1 mil like a sub
0: yeah that's even more a Rolex thing.
1: Yeah, let me put it this way. I would hate to have Patek following Rolex, not, not because uh, I have something against Rolex, not at all. I just think in general, each brand should keep its own character and not try to imitate others uh, because that's the only way to remain who you are on the long run. And you should not compromise your own personal brand values for anything, especially not brands like this. Uh, so I hope I'm, I'm being wrong and sarcastic here.
3: I also would like to know why a watchmaker like Patek, I'm sure there's a technical reason, it probably just results in a better looking movement, but they still have adjusters. Whereas IWC, for years since Kurt Klaus developed his movement for perpetual calendars, you can control everything from the crown. This has got to be a pain in the neck watch to adjust if you don't leave it on a watch winder.
0: And let's not forget that the whole thing explodes if you touch it the wrong way. you know. So exactly. if you adjust it at the wrong hour or whatever, it's just going to be a snowball of little parts. And <laughs> split-second chronographs also have a tendency to do that. So this is technically a bomb in a way. You, you, you really don't want to hand this a, around the table at a watch get-together because you will not get it back working.
3: I mean, on the one hand, we've got Michael contributing about what's happening with G-Shock. If you happen to be in the market for one of these, or actually one of the Lucy or loose uh aquanauts we'd like to hear from you too we'd like to hear you road test them especially this one at a red bar meeting well that is us coming to the end of this week's show thank you sylvan for joining us it's always good to have someone on the show that actually knows something <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for pointing out some things for educating me that has been uh, marvelous what have you got coming up in the next week and where can people find you on the internet
1: so on the uh, internet, I'm the underscore generation like like David. So I am on Instagram, <laughs> yes, yes. holographic underscore hammer. And, and, uh, and the week to come is, yeah, more work. Final sprint before Christmas. I'm currently working on releases for 25, 26 for, for Breitling, uh, Extremely exciting projects to come, and, and yes, keep keep on showing up at work and keep on working. Good stuff,
3: David. I see that your fan account, uh, abtw David, has about nine followers now. I think.
0: Wow! Join the underscore movement. I, that's you know sylvan and i are flying the flag but there's yeah there's a there's another account without the underscore it's abtw david but if you want the real deal for now until the you, the new one takes over a fan account that you guys set up <laughs> to tease me which you have succeeded with you know spectacularly uh it's abtw <laughs> underscore david that's true
3: good stuff good stuff and yeah uh, you can find me at, at rick tech talk on instagram do contact the show podcasts at a ablogtowatch.com we do enjoy receiving notes from you we've received a couple others and they will get played in subsequent weeks so do keep in touch give us your opinions things you want us to talk about or just stuff you want to tell us just because you want to tell us it just because you feel you need to let it out somewhere and you've decided that we are the people that you're going to tell so thank you for joining us tune in again next week goodbye thank you guys
0: ciao thanks everyone catch you next week Bye, bye